and government. And so I want to speak to this issue again. We learned last week from Daniel chapter 10 that there are spiritual forces of evil and spiritual forces of good. There are good angels and bad angels. There's the, the forces that the Lord controls and there's forces that the Satan controls. And that those forces are warring against one another and are working behind the scenes, behind governments, behind nations, that, uh, that our, our, our leaders our, of our nations are really just pawns in the hands of these spiritual forces of evil and good that are working behind the scenes. And so we saw how God is calling us, as we talked about last week, to the battlefield uh, of prayer, to pray for these spiritual forces which are warring behind the scenes of what's going on, both here in our nation and abroad. And so this week we're going to um, talk about uh, what David talks about here in Psalm chapter 11 and verse 3. And so before we get to that, I'm going to have you all stand, if you would, just a real short verse. Not going to take us very long to read it. Uh, but again, this is our opportunity as we stand each and every week to acknowledge that the Bible is where truth comes from. That, yeah, there are many sources of truth in our world, that people have their opinions, but that their opinions don't matter. And I hope that you're becoming more bold to tell people that when they begin to express their opinions to say, hold on, let me stop, time out, let me stop you right there. Your opinion is not going to get you to heaven. Your opinion is not going to make your life better for you. Your opinion in the grand scheme of things, in the eternal picture of things, your opinion does not matter. There's only one person whose opinion matters, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't have to wonder what his opinion is because he wrote it down. All right, good. Y'all been listening. All right, so let's read together Psalm chapter 11 and verse 3. And what's happening here in this verse is David, the psalmist, is watching his culture uh, decay. He's watching his culture fall into moral corruption. He's watching as the powers of unrighteous or the unrighteous powers are taking control of uh, civil governments. And so he's watching all of this stuff unfold in front of him. And so he shares these words um, with, with, with us. Psalm chapter 11, verse 3. Let's read together David's statement here. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Okay, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Um, Notice that something has happened in David's world, okay? Look at verse 3. He says that the foundations have been destroyed. And the foundations that he's talking about here are the moral foundations of his society. That, um, that the professors from Harvard and that the theological professors from Emory have walked into this room of society and have begun to tinker with the text, have begun to um, tinker with orthodoxy. They think they know better than God and how we ought to run our lives. And so they've begun to tell the populace what their itching ears want to hear. And so David is saying, look, the foundations, the very principles upon which our lives ought to be built are being eroded away underneath of us. And so in a scenario like that, he asked the question, what then can the righteous do? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is first, what are those foundations in America, those biblical foundations that are being eroded? And then secondly, what difference does all that make to your, my, your, my, your life and mine? What can we do about all that? All right, so first let's talk about the foundations, the moral foundations upon which America has been built that are being eroded among us. Foundation number one is a foundation of the dignity of human life, the dignity of human life. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 says these words, so God created man in his own image. In the image, of, in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Our nation, friends, did not begin with the understanding that human life was some sort of an accident. Our founding fathers, the people who wrote the Constitution, the people who wrote on the Declaration of Independence, they believed that God created human life. That human life is not just a result of some sort of process of evolution or whatever that had, did not have human beings in mind, but rather that God 
created each and every one of us. And because of that foundational belief, they believe that every human life has dignity. They believe that every human life has worth. They believe that every human life has value because we are created in the image of Almighty God. That's what the Scripture teaches us. And that it doesn't matter how poor a person may be. It doesn't matter how old a person may be. It doesn't matter if somebody has physically or mentally handicapped. It doesn't matter. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Sound familiar? Self-evident means obvious, that everybody knows this. And so these are the writers of our Constitution writing this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created. See, they had this foundational principle belief that there's a dignity to all of human life, and that dignity of human life is because we are created in the image of our Creator. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed, that is given by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. So these guys who wrote the Constitution were very much informed, very much influenced by the teachings of Scripture. Calvin Coolidge once said, The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support those foundations if the faith in the Bible's teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. What he's saying there is, if, if our country no longer regarded the Bible as authoritative, then what's going to happen is the foundational principles upon which our country have been built are going to begin to erode out from underneath us. And that's part of what we're seeing in our world today. Patrick Henry said, and I quote, It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. And not by religions, plural, but by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow, that was Patrick Henry who wrote that down. So the first of these foundations is the dignity of all lives and of all men. And this is a biblical foundation. Now, tragically, tragically, the sacred foundation of this was violated in our country for over 200 years when America engaged in slavery. We, we basically said that all of human life doesn't have the same value. We basically said that all of human life doesn't matter the same way. And so that was a scourge upon our nation for 200 years. But fortunately... Even though that was legal at one time, that has been corrected. However, there's a new scourge that has entered into our country um, with, with a lack of dignity for human life, and that is the scourge of legalized abortion. Since 1973, when abortion was legalized in the U.S., more than 10 times more Americans have been killed, babies have been killed in abortion clinics, than those that ever died in all the wars that America has ever fought. Think about that. More babies have been killed, 10 times more babies have been killed in abortion clinics than those that have died in all the wars that America has ever fought since 1973. The bottom line is that the scourge of abortion represents a curse on our society that is just as sinful and that is just as heinous as the curse of slavery was 150 years ago. And we must understand, friends, that in opposing abortion, we are not just taking a stand against something bad, we are taking a stand against something bad, but it's much more deeper than that. We are fighting to preserve a fundamental principle, and that principle is the dignity of all human life, even the life of the unborn. Now, hear me out here. There are places where the Bible gives us freedom, friends, to exercise a difference of opinion, but abortion is not one of those areas. The scripture is very clear that God looks at the little baby and a mother's womb as a human being, and the taking of that life is nothing short of murder. And a society that says, hey, look, 
you know, we're going to legalize that. We're going to make that possible for people to do. Friends, that's a society that has allowed that foundation, that biblical foundation of human life, the dignity of human life, to erode right under our own noses. And as Christians, we need to continue to oppose abortion politically in hopes that one day it will be illegal again in this country. Amen? And so let me just say it. I've said this here before. If there are two candidates standing on the stage, and I don't care if it's at the top of the ticket or somewhere down the ticket, if there's two candidates standing on the stage and one of them is for the murder of the unborn and one of them is for pro-life, that's the end of the choice. I don't care what the rest of their policies are. This is the most seminal issue for us as a people. I mean, because this is, this is dealing with a fundamental principle on which our country was born, the dignity of all of human life. And that's how big this issue is. It is a scourge upon our nation, and we need to eradicate that. Now, moral foundation number two that's being eroded away in America is the foundation of the traditional nuclear family. The traditional nuclear family. You know, America was founded on the principle of the traditional nuclear family, and that means one man married to one woman and raising their children to be honorable, stable, contributing members of society. President Ronald Reagan said it this way, and I quote, The family has always been the cornerstone of American society. Today, more than ever, it is essential that each of us remember that the strength of our families is vital to the strength of our nation. Friends, as we know, this foundation is under serious attack in America today. Just two summers ago, our Supreme Court showed us its political hand and voted a 5-4 decision for marriage to be redefined to include gay marriage, something that the Bible calls detestable. Well, David asked the question, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Friends, one thing we can do about this foundation being threatened is that we can vote for political candidates who openly and unashamedly support traditional family values. Folks, if every Christian across this country would get together on these seminal issues and would vote as one block, our politicians would have no choice but to reverse some of these decisions that have been made. No choice. Christians need to get together on these issues. They could not be passing laws that so openly defy what God's Word teaches us. They couldn't do it. But you know, when it comes to family issues, like as Christians, we need to be careful that we're not just talking about what we're against, but we also need to be talking about what we are for. We need to be talking about what we're for, that we are for some things as well, that we're for those things that produce healthy, functional families, that we encourage healthy, functional families, and we've got to help people create healthy, functional families. And that's why here at Hebron, we believe so strongly in our Little K program, in our Kidmo program, in our Wednesday night program, in all the different areas, our VBS, our Egg Drop, all these sorts of things that are designed to help young people come together with other Christians that are like-minded, that share the same values, and come together, learn about God's Word, invest in relationships, build relationships to learn the truth of God's Word. Number three, the moral foundation that's being eroded in America is Bible-centered public morality. So a Bible-centered public morality. That is that the culture as a whole holds these biblical values. And so this is one of the things that's being eroded. President John Adams said, and I quote, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for any other. What's he mean? 
But what President Adams meant is that America was founded number three on the expectation that its citizens would have a biblical value system. And that there's no way to govern the people of America with all the liberties that are given them as a result of our republic. That there's no way to govern all the people that are, that are within our society if there's not some, some constant of a moral foundation that everybody agrees to and adheres to. And so President Adams says that constant, that moral foundation that we all agree to is a biblical value system. <clears throat> the biblical value system of right and wrong. And when society departs from that, American society ceases to function in a healthy way and society begins to fall apart. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. Michael Josephson of the Josephson Institute on Ethics did a study of 11,000 high schoolers and college students and adults. And here's what he found. He found that 37% of high schoolers admitted to stealing. 37%. That 65% of high schoolers admitted, this is the ones that admitted it, to cheating. 24% of college students said that they would lie to get a job or to keep a job. 47% of adults said that they would allow an auto body repair shop to include in some of the, uh, the insurance, on the insurance claim, some unrelated expenses to perhaps the accident that had taken place. What's all this mean? It means that we now live in a society where cheaters do prosper and where honesty is no longer the best policy. And so our children are being raised in a society where these principles are backwards. And so this is one of those foundations that's being destroyed. Stephen Carter of Yale University said, remember this is coming from Yale, a society that ignores the moral side of life is going down the tubes. Wow, Yale even has figured out that, uh, that, that what the Bible's been saying all along is true. Friends, when you look around at American society today, the public school system has been handcuffed in their role in teaching and proliferating biblical moral values. Our public institutions care more about what's politically correct than they do about what is morally correct and taking a stand for morality. And it seems that our elected officials are more concerned with being reelected than they are in taking a stand for what is morally right and what is morally wrong. And so what that means is that the job of teaching and reinforcing and promoting true biblical morality, this job has fallen almost exclusively now to us as church, as the people of God living in a godless society. We are the last institution, friends, to instruct families, to instruct moms and dads in what is right from what is wrong and to partner with parents in teaching their children what is right and what is wrong. And the la we are the last institution, we are the last line of defense against the complete and total erosion of biblical values in our society today. That's the state of, of the situation. It's tragic. All right, well, let's summarize. America was founded upon some biblical foundations. And the three that we've talked about today that are being eroded away are, number one, the dignity of human life. Number two, traditional nuclear families. And number three, a Bible-centered public morality. Okay, well, that's our treatment of this subject. And so that brings us to our most important question. Like, well, okay, I see what's going on out there in the world, but what difference does any of this make to me? I mean, what can we do? What can the righteous do? Well, let's talk about that. You see, what we've been describing this morning, friends, are just symptoms of the real problem. Do you agree? All these erosions of values, these erosions of principles of the dignity of life, all of that is just a symptom of what is the real problem. 
And that real problem, friends, the problem in America are the sin-filled hearts of Americans. Americans that are more enamored with sin and with pursuing sin than they are in knowing the Lord their God. And that's the real problem there. My point is that until and unless a mass number of hearts of people are changed, unless that happens, then, I mean, the end is already, the end of the story's already been written for us as a nation. Our success will be minimal. This is why when the Apostle Paul wrote Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, he didn't say, Paul or Timothy, go out there and do the work of a political reformer. It's not what Paul told Timothy. He didn't say, Timothy, go out there and do the work of a moral crusader. Go out there, Timothy, and do the work of a social activist. No, he told Timothy to go and do the work of an evangelist, somebody that takes the good news of the gospel to a mass number of hearts of people so that a mass number of hearts of people can be changed and they can begin pursuing these values that we've been talking about, these foundations. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. What he's pointing out here is that a person who's given their life to Christ lives with a different value system than the person who doesn't know Jesus. And so there's a real opportunity there for things to get turned around in our nation, for the value system of our nation to get turned around, to return to these foundations that we've been talking about here. And that's the difference that Jesus makes. And friends, that, attack, <clears throat> that attacks the problem, not just the symptoms. Let me back up for just a minute, though, because the Bible says that God wants to change the mass number of hearts of people. I mean, this is a promise in Scripture. God says that he'll do this. He says that he will heal our land, but that there's some things that you and I have got to do before he goes and acts in healing our land. If you have your Bibles, flip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. It's a familiar passage of Scripture. I just really want to remind you, want to review what the Scripture says here. God says, here's what you do. You, you want me to heal your land, or here's the things that you need to do. He says, if my people who are called by my name, so this is assignment for us, for the Christian, for the believers. This isn't God talking to the folks out there. This is God talking to people in here. He says, if my people who are called by my name will pray, will seek my face, will turn from their wicked ways, then here's the promise. God says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. God didn't say, I might hear. Like, if you go and you do these things, I might hear from heaven. He didn't say, hey, if you go and do these things, maybe, you know, I'll think about it. God didn't say, hey, look, if you go out there and do these things, then, then maybe I'll forgive you. It's not what God said. God said, if you do your part, I will do my part. I'll do what you're counting on me to do. I will heal your land. You think he can do it? I believe that he can, and I'm trusting that he can. And so look at what we've got to do. Number one, in that verse, we need to show humility. We need to show humility. Number two, we need to pray. We need to go to the Lord corporately, individually, in prayer. Number three, it says we need to seek God's face. That means we need to go to the doors of heaven through the medium, medium that we've been given through prayer and bang on the doors 
of heaven. This is not praying one time, not praying two times. This is seeking God's face. This is going after the Lord in prayer and petitioning him regularly, perpetually, for him to heal our land. And then lastly, we need to turn from our wicked ways. Again, God's speaking to the church, speaking to you, speaking to me. You know, repentance means that you're turning away from a particular lifestyle, decision, behavior, and you're heading in a new direction. It means that you're getting rid of the filth that comes through your TV and through your computer. It means that you're turning away from uh, bad language. It means that you're turning away from um, things that people in society see you do, the, 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 the way you use your tongue. It means that you shoot straight with your clients. It means that you marry that young lady instead of just live with her. It means that you break up with that man because the scriptures have said, do not be unequally yoked. It means that you do your own work at school. That's what it means. It's repentance. It's turning away from stuff that you know is not God-honoring and beginning to live in a new direction. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time. But it means that you're, you're no longer just over here wallowing in sin, but that you're living deliberately and intentionally in a new direction. You know, as I look across the country these days, I see lots of Christians who are humbling themselves because they see how bad things are. I see lots of Christians who are praying. I see lots of Christians who are banging on heaven's door. But the one thing I haven't seen in mass are a lot of Christians who are repenting, who are turning from one lifestyle and behavior set God's righteousness. I'm not seeing people in the church who are, I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about universally here. I'm not seeing across our nation a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Let's face it, everybody is sincere when there's a crisis. Everybody's ready to humble themselves and to seek after God's face and to pray. But God says there's one more step that needs to be taken. And that is, I want to see you as my people living differently. Hungering and thirsting after righteousness. The future of our country is in a decision that you make not just at the ballot box, friends. The future of our country is in a decision that you will make in your heart and for how your home is going to be. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning we pray like the psalmist prayed, to search our hearts, O God. Know our anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. The stakes are really high, Lord. And lead us in the way everlasting. God, for many Christians across this country, we say, Lord, we recognize there's a crisis. Lord, we need you to step in. Lord, we want you to heal our land. Lord, we want to bang on heaven's gates. Lord, we'll do all those things. We'll humble ourselves. But in the back of our mind, once you've done your part, 
we're ready to run right back to our sin and jump right back in. And Lord, you said, that's not what I want to see. I want to see true biblical repentance, a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness that is turning our back on sin and our behaviors, Lord, that have led to the destruction of where we're at today. God, place in our hearts a desire, a passion for biblical living, for biblical morality. God, if we've been holding back in some specific areas of our lives, may we recognize that that disobedience is going to continue to send America down the path that we're on. You're not going to heal our land until we get serious about living for you. Lord, in these quiet moments this morning, if there's something, Lord, in our life that's not honoring to you, we ask the Holy Spirit that you'd place your finger on it, that we would hand it over, we would loosen our grip, that we would say, okay, God, okay, I want to live for you. And then, Lord, we can watch as you do the business of healing our land. We pray this in Christ's holy name.